and they don't need so many of us anymore. We are, we are taking up their resources for their offspring for the future, and why should the useless eaters, those with inferior genes, do that? When those with the superior genes obviously will need it for their offspring. So this is all part of a very old agenda. It's been discussed in universities across the planet. I have many talks and lectures given here on the, the, the drastic reduction of population by necessity. And I've read many, many quotes and articles over the years on this very topic. The reason the public can even hear some of these things themselves and dismiss it is because they cannot believe anyone is so evil as to actually mean what they say and go ahead and do it. That's why they can do it. Back with more after the following break.
this year the Carroll National Guard unit will train on urban military operations by holding a four-day exercise at Arcadia. The purpose of the April 2nd to 5th drill will be to gather intelligence, then search for and apprehend a suspected weapons dealer, according to Sergeant Mike Kortz, Britain's NCO for Alpha Company. Citizens, law enforcement, media and other supporters will participate. It's almost like an order, isn't it? Media and other supporters will participate. Troops will spend Thursday, April 2nd, staging at a forward operations base at Carroll. The next day, company leaders will conduct a reconnaissance and begin patrolling the streets of Arcadia to identify possible locations of the weapons dealer. The primary phase will be done Saturday, April 4th, when convoys will be deployed from Carroll to Arcadia. And then it goes on about asking the residents if they've seen the suspects. Soldiers will knock only at households that have agreed to participate in the drill, Cots noted. In other words, the, the ones with the apples for the teacher. You know. It says, once credible intelligence has been gathered, said Cots, portions of the town will be roadblocked and more in-depth searches of homes and vehicles will be conducted in accordance with the residents' wishes. The residents want this, right, supposedly. More in-depth searches of homes and vehicles. With roadblocks as well. One of the techniques we use in today's political environment, that's interesting, today's political environment, is cordon and knock, Cots explained. We ask for the head of the household, get permission to search, then have them open doors and cupboards. The homeowner maintains control. Really, a guy behind you with a rifle. The homeowner maintains control. We peer over the shoulder and the soldier at the back of you, right, uses the homeowner's body language and position to protect him, the soldier. So he's watching for any, any sudden movements. Don't drop the sugar when you're up at that cupboard, whatever you do. During this phase of the operation, troops will interact with residents and media. So it's a media event, you see, to make sure it's all quite normal. That's how they present it. While implementing crowd control measures and possibly treating and evacuating injured persons. The unit will use a Black Hawk helicopter for overhead command and control and to simulate medevacs. The drill will culminate in the apprehension of the suspected arms dealer. Alpha Company will conduct a review of the drill on Sunday, April the 5th. A meeting to give residents more information and accept volunteers will be held 7 p.m. on Monday, March the 2nd, in the Arcadia American Legion Hall. Coach said the exercise will replace Alpha Company's weekend drill for April. We have a lot of extended drills this coming year, he added. In addition to surveillance, searching, and apprehension, the exercise will also give the troops valuable experience in stability, support, patrol, traffic control, vehicle searches, and other skills needed for deployment in an urban environment. The exercise will improve the real-life operational skills of the unit, said Cots and it will hopefully improve the public's understanding of military operations. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I hope they get the point. The pre-drill work with residents is as important as the drill itself. It will be important for us to gain the trust and confidence of the residents of Arcadia, said Cots. We'll need to identify the individuals that are willing to assist us in training by allowing us to search their homes and vehicles and to participate in role-playing. We really want to get as much information out there as possible 
because this operation could be pretty intrusive to the people of Arcadia. No kidding. No kidding, eh? So there you go. This is all for what's coming up. And there'll be, there'll be similar exercises going across the country at the same time. I can pretty well guarantee you that. Again, too, it's wonderful how we can put this stuff out in local papers and the state next to it or the, or the, or the county next to it won't even have an idea it's happening. They, they might even have their own one and it's a near local paper. They don't know what's happening across the country. This is how isolated they can keep you. So simple with the media, isn't it? And I've read articles before about the tasering massacres that go on since they gave the new toys to the police who seem to be only too joyful to use them out on people and how they've killed a whole bunch of people by multiple tasers and so on. But because of what's coming up, you see, with the upcoming riots, which is definitely going to happen, it's planned that way, the cops are getting desperate too and edgy. So they're coming out here, and this is from, this is from Canada here, CBC Canada. February 24, 2009. All officers need tasers, police associations say. Canadian Police Association President Charles Mommy oh, says public safety is enhanced by the use of stun guns, which is said all officers should be authorized to carry. Canadian Police Association President Charles Mommy says public safety is enhanced by the use of stun guns, which is said all officers should be Boy, you've seen a lot, this guy. 
isn't it? They save lives. Save lives, eh? They stun you and, and they kill you and, and they save lives. But you had a heart attack at that moment because it was pure chance. Just pure chance. He said, they certainly enhance public safety and officer safety. It is our position that all officers should be authorized to carry DWs, Mommy said. I think the officers should also be provided with regular and adequate use of force training. They say that the weapon should only be used if there's a threat to the police officer or a threat to the public. Well, we've already seen that overthrown. Now, the police don't go and grab someone anymore, even when there's about four or five of them standing there. So this taser you to death. Oh, sorry, you had an accident. You had a heart attack when you were being tasered. Separate thing altogether. Back with more after this break. through the matrix a few years ago we all saw the prisoners at Guantanamo Bay with their orange suits on who'd be kneeling in the sun with black hoods on and their hands tied behind their backs and folk would say while their prisoners were witnessing prisoners being held by guards what you were witnessing was torture because you try kneeling in the sun for hours without moving Maybe getting a swift kick if you happen to move with a black hood on your head and no water and so on. That's called torture. And you see, there really are people who enjoy torturing, regardless of all the studies that have been done to show that anyone in experimental situations can be ordered and generally complies with the order from a superior to torture. There are people, there are lots of people who enjoy torture and the studies, even in psychology, of those who end up going into police and enforcement occupations have a bully-type mentality. They like authority. They like the smell of fear of the public. They like to enjoy it. That's why they become officers. It's not to keep the peace or to help the people. It's because they like to feel that they smell the fear of the public when they stop your car. They smell it, and they enjoy that. You see, these people couldn't get like, any kind of respect if they were in any other occupation. But putting that uniform on and wearing a gun there gives you that respect. People fear you. you see? So we're, we're witnessing terrible, a terrible future coming up because they've been recruiting these people for years and years and years. They've been brought up as a whole generation on video games with whole ideas to kill, 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 designed for the military given to this generation for this time, for this time coming up by the long-term planners. To continue a little bit with this article, it says here, and it's all utter rot that we're getting told here because they want these badly, and there's contracts, big money involved too. It says here, there's got to be some active resistance on people's behalf to be stunned, right? There's got to be some kind of assaultive, combative behavior, said Kay, who's chief of the Owen Sound Ontario Police Force. It shouldn't be used in passive resistance cases, said Kay. He acknowledged that police, now see how they word this too, may have used it in those kinds of cases in the past. They may have, which means they may not have. See, they're very, very careful how they say things. 
is, they, they may have allowed it to be used more as a compliance device. Well, you see, that's torture, you see. We're suggesting that that's not correct, he said, adding that there needs to be a better job done of reporting and tracking the use of the device. No kidding. Okay. His police use of tasers generated intense public concern after the Polish immigrant Robert Zehansky, and I read that on the air at the time, died at Vancouver International Airport more than a year ago. An RCMP officer hit Zehansky with a taser shortly before his death. More than once, I think, too. British Columbia called an inquiry that's been looking at the use of tasers and the circumstances surrounding Zikansky's death. Kay wouldn't comment on this case or whether he believed the taser was responsible. Well, of course he won't. He won't. His job is to make sure that it's got nothing to do with killing people. So I won't read any more of this rubbish on this particular PR story. And that's all it is, is a PR story. Because it's self-evident what it's all about. Self-evident. Now, there's a lot going on to do with bacterial and viral warfare. And I've read from books in the past to do with how far back it goes that we know of. And in fact, they were practicing with viral warfare back in about 1917 in some countries. I've got a whole show I'm going to do on that uh, one day. And in World War II, Canada led the world in bacterial and viral warfare. Little old Snow White Canada, the pristine little clean country that it is, covers a lot of dirt under that snow. Because we learned from Britain after Britain really rules Canada. At least London does. And it, it's so easy for them. Even in World War II, they could actually breed a new kind of virus within an hour in fast incubation studies. But part of the program, too, in World War II, one of the many parts, the different areas, including the destruction of crops in enemy, enemy territory by various means, but another our tactic was to get something to carry the virus or the bacterium. And so they bred special, what they call bomber mosquitoes, these big mosquitoes that can carry a heavy loading dose, because that's what infects you. If there's only too few viruses or bacterium, often it won't take in your body. Your antibodies can overcome it. But if they can get enough into the body in a loading dose, it, it might overtake your, your body's immune system and beat it. So they bred these special big mosquitoes in Belleville, Canada, in Ontario, Canada, was one of the main laboratories, and I think it's still going, that breeds these, and they sell them, and they send them off to other bacterial warfare units, even in the U.S. and other places too. Still ongoing. But here's a spin on mosquitoes today. It's going to help us, you see. It's going to help us. It's from PLOS Medicine. Malaria control with transgenic mosquitoes. This is how they're going to spin it to us. It says here, this is from 2009 by Marshall and Taylor. I guess these two guys did the study on it. Malaria has been eliminated from a large part of the world. By the mid-20th century, both North America and Europe are free from the disease, and I'll carry on with this and tell you where it's going after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
cutting through the matrix, and I've been discussing mosquitoes, of all things, because it's one of the oldest methods of transmitting disease. We should never forget that. And billions of mosquitoes can be bred in a very small area and released. In fact, I've read articles over the years where the U.S. military had gone into small villages with massive tractor trailers and opened them up and spread mosquitoes. And the next morning, people woke up to find mosquitoes all over their buildings, millions and billions of them. It was never disclosed as to what they were trying to prove or if these mosquitoes were carrying anything. But I've done so many of these kind of experiments on the public, it would, would go into shock if we knew what was really be going, been going on. But here they are talking about using mosquitoes to prevent disease, you see. Now, if you release mosquitoes, even if they were going to prevent disease in the middle of a plague, for instance, it's going to spread the plague, regardless of what it's preventing. It's the greatest vector or, or, or method for transmission. Very quick and easy. And very cheap to breed, too. So this, this report says malaria has been eliminated from a large part of the world by the mid-20th century. Both North America and Europe were free of the disease, although both had suffered greatly during the prior century. While a variety of means were used to achieve this eradication, the most important are thought to be reducing the number of breeding sites for malaria vectors and improving residential areas to separate humans from mosquitoes. Well, actually, you see they've bred more of them because that's when they started to put in the, the wetlands, creating wetlands. It's fantastic, you see, for the bugs. They love it. Mosquitoes love it. Other parts of the world have not been so fortunate. In sub-Saharan Africa, it's now estimated there are more than 360 million clinical cases and 1 million deaths due to malaria each year. They almost decimated it, by the way, when they were using DDT. But actually, uh, there was other certain factors and foundations up in arms about that because they wanted the population reduced. And I've read articles and from books from people like Huxley and others who bemoaned the fact that the Black Death wasn't around anymore. To continue, it says, furthermore, despite ambitious goals for such as those of the Rollback Malaria Initiatives, to half malaria deaths by 2010, mortality from the disease has actually arisen halfway through the program. Clearly the tools we have to control malaria or the ways in which we're using them are not working. No kidding. The future of existing methods for malaria control has sparked interest in several new approaches. These include better and cheaper anti-malarial drugs, renewed efforts to find a vaccine, and the development of genetically modified mosquitoes, GMMs. That must be a, a Grand Master Mason, I guess. Genetically modified mosquitoes, GMMs. Designed either to reduce population sizes or to replace existing populations with vectors unable to transmit the disease. In this review, we describe some of the efforts currently underway to create GMMs and assess some of the obstacles they face. Then they go into the, the background. Malaria in humans results from infection by any of the five species of Plasmodium p. Uh, as falciparum, etc., etc. These are transmitted to humans by approximately 50 species of mosquitoes, all belonging to the genus Anopheles. Then it goes on and on about the different types. However, 
say so most species of mosquitoes do not transmit malaria, even among species that do. Many individuals seem incapable of transmitting the disease. They're refractory. Accordingly, there is reason to hope that the genes that permit malarial infections in mosquitoes can be identified, then replaced or altered in terms of their function. In this way, it's hoped that mosquito populations will become refractory to the parasite, eventually leading to malaria transmission being halted. That goes into the different laboratories that are working on this. The laboratory of Marcelo Jacobs Lorena at John Hopkins University has successfully engineered mosquitoes that confer resistance to rodent malaria. So it's great for rodents, right? Their approach was to first identify receptor sites, etc., etc., and they went on from there. But this gives you a list of the different laboratories that are working on this, and this ties in with the next article you see. Because guess who's really behind all this? It's an article here from Fox News and the science, their science page. February the 5th, 2009, Bill Gates unleashes swarm of mosquitoes on crowd. This is all happening at the same time. See, everything happens at the same time. They give you just apparently unrelated stories, you see. And this great philanthropist is supposedly, supposedly, I, I say, self-made man, you see, that the doors just opened and he went right to the top. There's now a philanthropist. Amongst, with a big foundation, along with the rest of the big foundations that help lead the world in certain directions, preordained, of course. So here's Bill Gates unleashing a swarm of mosquitoes in a crowd. By James Duncan Davison, it says, Microsoft founder turned philanthropist Bill Gates released a glass full of mosquitoes at an elite technology conference to make a point about the deadly disease malaria. He says it's spread by mosquitoes. The guy's learning as he gets older, isn't he? He said while opening a jar on stage at the Technology and Entertainment Designs Conference, a gathering known to attract technology kings, politicians, and Hollywood stars. I, bought some, I brought some, he says. Here, I'll let them roam around. There's no reason only poor people should be infected. Oh, what, what oh, can you believe that only poor people should be infected? Eh? Oh, oh. First reported on social networking site Twitter, Facebook senior platform manager Dave Morin blogs, Bill Gates just released mosquitoes into the audience at TED. Gates then waited a minute or so before assuring the audience the freed insects were malaria-free. The unusual presentation on malaria prevention was confirmed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's media office. Now remember what most of their money goes into. Bill and Melinda here. It goes into what they call family planning, which is really abortion outfits across the world, mainly in the third world, in line with the, with the, with the agenda set out by Kissinger when he declared that the greatest threat to the nation, in fact to the planet, was overpopulation. And a lot of things went into motion then to bring them down. And of course what they call family planning, which is abortion, was one of them, under the pretense that the care for women is actually to do with depopulation. So here's Bill and Melinda, who gives all this money to all these UN agencies or NGOs. The UN will always say legally they don't run abortion clinics, which is true. It's all their NGOs that do it, and they're funded by the foundations. So here they are. They want to, they want to increase the population of humans, obviously, by, by eradicating malaria. I don't trust these guys, these guys at all. 
Since Gates retired as head of Microsoft last year to focus more on his foundation, one of his key projects is ending malaria and has spent millions on fighting the disease. The philanthropist has been pushing to reduce malaria deaths throughout the non-profit organization. In September, Gates announced that Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation would provide $168.7 million to the PATH Malaria Vaccine Initiative to help develop a vaccine for the deadly disease. Like, sure, sure. And this is the kind of stuff you see we're getting, we're, we're being given to prepare us for mosquitoes because, because, you see, there's more to it than that. This is from, and I've read it before, it's from nullhypothesis.co.uk. And this article came out, I think, January the 15th. It says here, mosquitoes as new medical syringes. See, it's all coming out at the same time. This is coordinated across the world. New plans to use mosquitoes as micro syringes have been released by a leading British biotechnology company, John Soames, chairman of the Medical Life Sciences Group based in Cambridge, England. He held a press conference yesterday afternoon to announce the news to the world's media. New technology is set to revolutionize the medical profession, allowing minuscule amounts of drugs, bags, and serums to be injected directly into patients. Soames said yesterday the amount of drugs that are administered in a typical syringe are measured in millimeters or milliliters, but infusion pumps are able to give as little as 0.1 milliliter doses. However, they call, they call them mozzy nozzles or hyper moz. These are far more sensitive and are able to inject as little as 0.01 mil of fluid directly into their target. This is ideal for giving antibiotics to very specific areas of the body, such as individual hair follicles or skin pores. I guess it is tell the mosquitoes where to, where to bite, eh? Another benefit of using insect-borne jabs is to remove the fear factor associated with syringes. Some 10% of the population suffer, suffer from trypanophobia, the fear of needles, and having an insect that gives you the jab that you don't feel until it's too late is rather appealing. Uh, I tell you, I've been bitten with mosquitoes here, and when they have a nerve, you feel it all right. You certainly feel it. These proboscises are about a quarter inch long, or longer in some of them. So surgeons around the country could be rearing their own mosquito colonies as early as next year. It's just all happening at once. Maybe you think it's all independent. They've all come to the same conclusion at the same time, independently, of course. Harry Freeman from Breeden Bobby said, this comes a bit of a shock, but we'll be trying to increase our demand as soon as we know what type of mosquito they need. But these companies already exist all over the place. The most likely candidate is Culex pipiens, the most common urban mosquito, and the one that has been modified to have a transparent abdomen, they've modified it with a graduated milliliter scale for loading the insect with the correct dose. Then it goes on about the different kinds of mosquitoes we're going to use. It's quite, quite amazing. But when I scroll down here, there's a letter sent to the Gates Foundation because that's who's behind this. It doesn't mention it in that article, but that's who's behind this, this particular one. Again, it's everywhere. It's from Health Freedoms or healthfreedommusa.org. Gates Foundation, the ethics of funding mosquito flying syringes. This was sent uh, from Ralph Fusetola, JD, to Dr. Rima Lebo, Gates Foundation, and Helsinki Declaration. This was about 
I'm a trustee of the Natural Solutions Foundation, the largest Netroots Health Freedom NGO. This email is to comment upon the below article, media article, Flying Syringe, about the Gates Foundation's most recent Grand Challenges Awards and our concern that your organization is not paying enough attention to the ethical requirements of the Declaration of Helsinki of the World Medical Association. The Natural Solutions Foundation, founded in 2004, is an international NGO focused on health freedom. I think it's to say here, the mission of the foundation is discovered, develop, demonstrate, disseminate natural solutions, etc., etc. It says, and they're also to take care of uh, health freedoms and defend them for people. They said the Helsinki Declaration absolutely forbids treating people without their informed consent. It further forbids experimental treatments without fully informing people of their side effects. There are a number of other provisions of the Declaration that might also apply to the act of releasing genetically modified mosquitoes for the purpose of involuntarily vaccinating people. It says here, so they would be with the Natural Solutions Foundation, its trustees, etc., we're pleased to enter into dialogue with the Gates Foundation about the ethical issues involved with involuntarily or mandated vaccinations. Well, going back to what I said at the beginning, to do with mosquito breeding, it was initially done for carrying disease for warfare purposes. And when you see all these big foundation boys, that all started off, remember, as bankers with their foundations, with an agenda of depopulation and eugenics, it has never changed its direction. Why on earth would you ever trust them to release anything on the general public? And again, it is without our consent, isn't it? And this is what these articles are about. You see, they're going to start in hospitals, supposedly, except for Africa. They'll use them as the guinea pigs, as they always do. And then they'll put them on the general population. Now, the reason the the, the supposed influenza nasal spray was stopped getting used in malls was because the stuff wafted across the malls and everyone in the area were getting doses of this stuff without their consent. So here they want to release mosquitoes on the public. Does a mosquito ask for your consent? I don't think so. And what's it really injecting into you? What else have they modified in this particular bug since the military-industrial complex has always been at the head of experimental mosquitoes for transmission of diseases. I don't trust them at all. At all. Boy, I'm ranting tonight, I'm telling you, because everything really is so incredibly obvious. So incredibly obvious, it really is. Here's an article here. Uh, you see, all the greenies are getting worried about the, the the credit crunch and the depression, this worldwide depression that's coming down fast, the planned depression. And I've said before, this greening project with its carbon taxes and so on will, will, will continue because it's all part of the depopulation program and bringing down the numbers of humans, since each human supposedly is responsible for X amount of carbon being pumped into the atmosphere in their lifetime. This is the quackery they're using to push it. But some of them are panicking, wondering if, if they'll lose all their grants and all their loans and all the money that's getting thrown at them. And this is from the Telegraph, Tuesday 24th of February 2009. And it says here, 
It's by Christopher Booker. Climate change rhetoric spirals out of control. Christopher Booker says that the government must be absolutely sure that their data on climate change is accurate. It was another bad week for the warmists, the call themselves warmists, now more desperate than ever to whip up alarm over an overheating planet that's actually cooling. I added the last part. It began last weekend with the BBC leading its bulletins on the news that a leading climate scientist in America, Professor Chris Field, had warned that the severity of global warming over the next century will be much worse than previously believed. Boy, these guys are with some religion, eh? A belief system. Future temperatures will be beyond anything, anything predicted, he says, until the Chicago conference. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change had seriously underestimated the size of the problem, he says. They're all abandoning it at IPCC in droves. The puzzle as to why the BBC should make this main news of the day only deepened when it emerged that Professor Field was not a climate scientist at all, but an evolutionary biologist. Evolution and a biologist. To promote its cause, the BBC website even posited a video explaining how warming would be made worse by negative feedback. This scientific howler, joke that is, provoked much amusement and derision on expert U.S. blogs such as Anthony Watts, What's Up With That?, since negative feedback would lower temperatures rather than raise them. The BBC soon pulled its video, its alarmist video, you see. This was followed on Sunday by yet another outburst from the most extreme of all the scientists crying wolf on global warming, Al Gore's ally, Dr. James Hansen. Back with more after this break. Alan Watt, we're cutting into the matrix and reading an article from the Telegraph where the, the global warming guys are panicking that they might lose some of their funding because the world's gone broke, you see, so they're really whipping up the hysteria. And it says here, this was followed on Sunday by another outburst from the most extreme of all the scientists crying wolf on global warming, Al Gore's ally, Dr. James Hansen, director of the Goddard Institute for Space Studies, of all things. In the Observer, he launched his most vitriolic attack for the closing down of all the coal-fired power plants, which are the world's main source of electricity, repeating his claim to a British court last year that the new coal-fired plant at King's North will alone be responsible for the extermination of 400 species. They're always pulling these numbers out of the air. David Suzuki did it years ago, and about 15 years ago, there should technically be nothing left on the planet, by his estimate, and he's still doing it. <laughs> Coal-fired power plants are factories of death. Now listen to the terminology from marketers. This is marketing news and big marketers. We see. Coal-fired power plants are factories of death, wrote Hansen. The trains carrying coal to power plants are death trains. This deliberate echo of the trains carrying Jews to Nazi death camps recalled by the more extreme warmest like to equate skeptics on climate change with Holocaust deniers. I said that a while back. They're using this terminology because they're using marketers, you see. And psychologists. It says, but such overheated language seems somehow at home in the newspaper, which in 1996 solemnly predicted that by 2016, half a million Britons would be dying each year from having eaten BSE-infected beef. And you don't even hear about that anymore. But these alarmists are amazing guys, aren't they? But remember, it's all eugenics, you see? Depopulation. And, of course, 
They want you to be in a third world status across the, the planet, the global plantation, so they can then bring us down quietly, and there's no, there's no feedback from anyone. We're all dying, dying passively, lawfully, by the way, all very lawfully. It's very important we die lawfully, especially for the policemen. They don't want to pull their tasers on us then. And last thing is from the BBC, and you can look up this. I think it's an audio or a video. It's just time for National Citizenship Service. I'll leave all these links at the end of the, the show on my site. Tuesday, 24th, February 2009. Labour MP Frank Fields thinks it's time to introduce a compulsory national citizenship program for 16 to 25-year-olds. It means young people working on community projects such as helping out on environmental schemes or mentoring in schools. He discussed his plans in the studio with John Gontz. So I'll leave that up there and you can listen to it at your leisure. But see what they're doing. Remember I've said they're going to bring in a world of service. You can be in service to the world state. And they're also bringing back the old CCW, I think they called it, and, and uh, the first great depression where they started up camps for unemployed young men. And they gave them army uniforms and they worked helping build roads and all this kind of stuff, make work projects. This is their answer to the global depression. We'll end up, all end up working for the state in service to the world community. That's what it's really all about. Quite something, isn't it? But this is the world in which we live. And as I say, it's all planned long in advance. Everyone knew that the, the stock market was a con game forever. But they pulled the plug now because they've set up the machinery to deal with all the chaos. And that's why they gave us 9-11 on 2001 and Bush set the machinery into place. Now they put Obama in to actually use it. I hear the music coming in. So from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, where it's global freezing, it's good night. And your God or your gods go with you.